Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. As a choir member sits down next to you, uh, just sort of reach over, tap them on the arm, tell them thank you. Do you know how hard those anthems are to sing? Well, I'm not talking about the music. I mean, that, that's hard enough and finding the notes, and that, that's hard enough. But do you know what it is like to sing His Crown of Thorns made me royalty? It's hard to sing with tears welling up in your eyes. What great worship we've had already. I, I grew up in church, and uh, most of you know that. I grew up in a, um, I was going to say a preacher's kid, a preacher's family, but uh, Dad was actually a chaplain in the Navy, so uh, he was either at the base chapel or deployed overseas or on board ship. And so um, a lot of the preaching that I heard was actually other people. It wasn't my father. Uh, and the churches I grew up in were not um, uh, shaped uh, by my dad's preaching per se. Uh, and so I, I just say that so that you can't blame him uh, for what happened to me. But, but what I do know is that in growing up in, in a church world, you know, going to church every Sunday and Sunday school and training union, et cetera, et cetera, you know, as a kid, you, you start to accumulate a lot of rules. In fact, you, you start to think this is the only thing they talk about at church. You just come to church, and it's all about rules. And there are things that you shouldn't do. Don't do these things. Um, for example, uh, growing up in church, you know, I was taught, and I don't know if I was taught this. I absorbed this somehow. Smoking was a sin. Now, this is back before it was cool to be anti-smoking. This is back when, when smoking was really cool and people were, you know, they, they, it was a rite of passage as a young boy to start smoking, you know, and all that. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I just absorbed from my church uh, uh, upbringing, you know, smoking is a sin. Now, I don't want to get into the theology of smoking, but all I want to tell you is that's, that's what was in my mind. There's this rule, you don't smoke, all right? Turns out to be a pretty good rule. Turns out it doesn't matter where it came from or what the foundation of it was. It doesn't, doesn't matter what the metaphysics of smoking are. It turns out to be a really good rule. Whether smoking is a sin or not, I'll let, uh, you know, the theologians, let them debate all of that. But here's the deal. You wreck your body. Gets hard to breathe. Simple things like inhaling become, become a chore. And so it turned out to be a really good rule. And while I can look back on it and I can talk to you about childhood development and how children view morality and absorb ethics and this kind of thing and the other, the, the fact of the matter is I was blessed because I was told, hey, don't smoke. Now here's what, what, what happens is as, as, as a kid, you, you, you get that message, but you, you don't think about why it's being given to you. All you know is that the big people are telling you don't do it. 
And that's the way children absorb rules. It's just something we don't do because we're told not to do it. I mean, as a kid, you go up to your dad, or like, you know, if I went up to my father and I said, Dad, would you explain to me what this rule is about? Well, son, don't smoke. Well, don't you understand that it's a societal rite of passage and that it is somehow squelching my self-image? Son, don't smoke. Why? What's the next answer? Because I said so. And you know, that wasn't a bad, bad, uh, bad motivation in the home I grew up in. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, and so as, as kids, we absorb these rules, and they come from an authority figure. We don't understand them. We don't know why. We're just doing them because Dad said so. And as a result of following the rules, you know, life actually turns out better, but then after a while you collect so many rules, you're just spending all your time trying to obey the rules. Now, there's nothing wrong with rules. I mean, the Bible is filled with rules. There's at least 10 of them. <laughs> and these are really good rules to live by. You know, things like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. That, that's one of the rules I grew up with. You know, don't take the, the, the Lord's name in vain. And, and, you know, that had to do with swearing and cussing and doing all those things that, that suppose made you look like a man or something. And, you know, no, you don't do it. Why don't we do it? Because I said so. And if that's not good enough, because the Bible says so. Just, you know, just, just don't do it. It's not a bad rule. It's not a bad rule. By the way, it's amazing to me that, you know, people who do not believe in God probably use the name of God more than those of us who believe in him. Oh, my, etc., etc. And the sad thing is Christians have adopted the world's casual attitude towards the name of God and have, uh, have forgotten the holiness and the sanctity uh, of, of God's name and how we should reverence the very name of God. It's not a bad rule uh, to grow up with. But, you know, there's at least 10 of these things. And whether you understand them or not, they're, they're just really good rules uh, to live by. And as children, we absorb these rules, and we do these things, and, um, uh, and we do them for one of two reasons. There, there, one of two reasons why children learn the rules, right? One is, if I know the rules and I keep the rules, I'm a good fella and, uh, and life goes better and I'm a good person and everybody will accept me. So that's one reason to learn all the rules, is so I can be a good person. The other reason to learn all the rules is so that I know how to push the buttons of the big people around here. Tell me the rule, and I'll figure out a way to break it. And then when you, you talk, tell me I've broken the rule, I, I, can, I can cite maybe three or four other rules that come into play with this rule. I mean, talk about lawyers. There's nothing like a nine-year-old boy uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to look at, uh, you know, the legal mind uh, going on there. See, but as children, we get all these rules. Okay, so we grow up in these rules. Some of you grew up in churches that had rules that were burdensome. They, they weren't just really good rules to live by. They were weapons to beat you about the head with. They, they were instruments of warfare to attack your heart and to attack the sense of who you were. Uh, the, some of you grew up in churches where there were so many rules, you felt like you were being just hammered on every side. And no matter what you did, there was a rule to tell you you were wrong. That's called legalism. 
That's called exalting the rules, the law, to, a, to an elevated status where it actually sort of displaces God. And now the rules are God, and don't break the rules. If you break the rules, you are a bad person, and we've got to punish you. And you grow up with that kind of, of, of sort of uh, attack on your heart and on your soul coming in the name of God, in the name of religion. And no wonder so many young people grow up and they decide, well, the church is all about rules. That's all it is. It's all about rules. I don't like rules. And so they rebel and they go off into the far country for a while until they understand what's really going on. But, but that kind of legalistic uh, badgering with rules, it can be destructive to a child's heart and to a child's soul. So sometimes the rules aren't such a good thing. Even, even if they, they might have a, a modicum of justification, the, the rules themselves can be used as a weapon to attack children. So we grow up with the rules, and then we become rule-keeping people. And there, there's, there's a, a few reasons why we become rule-keeping people. Uh, the, the first is, if I know the rules, then I can justify myself. I keep the rules, I'm a good person. Okay? I, I break this rule, yeah, but I kept all these rules, and so on balance, I'm a good person. Well, I break this rule all the time. Yeah, but I, I kind of keep all these rules, so I'm sort of a good person. And we use the, the, the rules that we learned in order to justify ourselves. Never quite works. Never quite works because we're always sort of conscious in the back of our minds about, uh, uh, of the fact that, you know, first, the rules that I'm breaking are pretty bad. And the rules that I'm keeping... I don't like them, and if I could, I'd break them. And so I'm really not that great. But we try to use the rules to justify ourselves. The other, the other thing we use rules for is we use rules to judge and condemn others. You broke the rules. You should have said that. You should have done that. You shouldn't think that. You know, and using the rules, then we can condemn others. Now, that makes you feel a lot better about yourself for a little while. But you, you, you become sort of this judgmental kind of person. You heap the rules on other people so that you can put them down. That, by the way, was a lot of what was going on with the Pharisees in the days of Christ. They had so many rules that no matter who you were, they could find some rule you had broken somewhere and pointed out to you like they were some kind of ethical genius. So we use them to condemn others. But sadly, we also use rules to try and bargain with God. To try and bargain with God. God, you gave me the rules. I know I haven't done much up till now, but from now on, I'm going to keep the rules. Or God, if you do this for me, you get me out of the problem I'm in, you get me out of the difficulty I'm experiencing, you heal me of this disease, whatever it is. God, if you will do this, then I'll keep the rules and I'll be a good person. Or we think to ourselves, I've kept all the rules. Why is all this happening to me? Why are these bad things happening to me? I kept the rules. I'm a good person. And so we use the rules to try to, to manipulate God, to bargain with God, and ultimately the rules take the place of God. And folks, that's no way to live. Now what, what happens, um, you know, if I can just speak biographically, is that you, you grow up and you get into the, you know, the adolescent years. You might even make it all the way to college. And, and basically, you don't know this, but you're, you're basically living on a rule-based uh, sort of uh, posture that, 
um, uh, you know, here are the rules. I'm keeping the rules. Those people aren't keeping the rules. Therefore, God must love me more than he loves them. And uh, so I will keep the rules, and I will do as I'm told. And like I say, the rules can be, be, be very helpful for you. But one day you come to understand that God is not about rules. He's about a personal relationship. And you come to understand that keeping all the rules in the world is no substitute for knowing God in a personal way and having a personal faith in him as your father. You come to the point where you understand this Jesus, by the way, what a Savior. What a Savior. But this Jesus actually paid it all. He actually paid the whole price for my salvation. Jesus paid the whole cost of bringing me out of the darkness into light. Jesus put down everything that was needed, put it down on the table, payment in full, so that I might be translated out of a kingdom enslaved to, and in bondage, not only to sin but to death and to the paralyzing fear of death. And he has set me free into the liberating light and life of Jesus Christ. This is what he has done for me. And when you realize that's who Jesus is and you come to see him for what he has done, you love him too much to reduce him to a couple of rules. But here's the marvelous thing that happens. You used to keep the rules because you wanted to earn God's love. You wanted to manipulate the world around you. You wanted to judge other people. And when you fall in love with Jesus Christ, suddenly the rules aren't rules to be kept. They are privileged joys, ways to love him back. Because when God gave us the rules, it wasn't so that he would have a clipboard full of, of, of items that if you stepped out of line, he could say, ah, see, Right here, you broke rule number two, subsection three, paragraph one, part A. You broke that one. He doesn't have a list like that. The reason he gave us the law, the reason God gave us the rules is so that we would see what the holiness of God means in human life so that we would know what it means to live a life that reflects the glory of God, what it would mean for us to return in thanksgiving and praise, worship and adoration, to love him back. The rules were given so that we would, might know how to love him more, not to earn his love, but because he has loved us already. And so somewhere along the line, you come to understand, you know those people back there in church that gave me all those rules? Now, they, they, rule number one, if it's fun, don't do it. Yeah, right. You suddenly realize they weren't trying to take life away from me. They were giving me life in Jesus Christ, and I didn't know it, but I've come to see it now. And, you know, you just wish you could go back and thank a lot of Sunday school teachers that you, uh, I'm going to say annoyed uh, during class because you understand what it was all about because you fell in love with Jesus. Now, here's how Paul talked about it in Colossians chapter 2. Here's what, he, here's what he said. Therefore, by the way, you know, he, he, we've been talking about the supremacy of Christ 
Chapter 1, Jesus says, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation and the head of the body of the church. Because of that, therefore, as you receive this Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. What does that mean? Don't be made captive, a prisoner of war, a spoil of war. Don't be held captive by the philosophy of man according to the traditions of man and not according to Christ. Why? Because Christ is the fullness of deity bodily. And Christ is the one who gave his life for us, and in baptism we identified with his death and his resurrection. And because in Christ we have the one who has forgiven our debt, canceled our debt on the cross. Because of all that, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, the Jewish religion had all of those things. What can you eat? What can you drink? This is okay to eat. That's not okay to eat. This is clean. That's unclean. When it talks about new moons, the, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, and so the beginning of the month is when you see the new moon, and then you start counting the day to the feast or the festival that falls on the certain day of that, cal of that lunar month. And, and so you're looking for the new moon to know when to have the feast, and then you have the feast, and then you talk about the Sabbath because the Sabbath, after all, is what uh, singles you out as being a child of God, as someone who belongs to the people of Israel. And, and so you have all these things, and Paul says, look, don't let anyone pass judgment on you on the basis of these rules. It's not like they're evil in and of themselves. It's just when you start to look at them as the only thing that you miss the real thing, that you miss what really matters. Okay. Uh, let's read on. Oh, here it is. You know there's a vent there over there. These are a shadow of the things to come. See, in the Old Testament, you have the rules. You have three kinds of rules, basically. You have moral rules. You have, um, it's called the cultic law. It means uh, uh, you have laws with regard to how to worship. And then you have civil rules or laws, civil laws. And so in the, in the Old Testament, as you're reading through it, you'll find uh, regulations about, um, you know, uh, how to set up the government, how, how, how to set up the camp, where to put the latrine, you know, things like that. Uh, look, folks, we're not bound by that. Why? Because that was given to the nation of Israel as an expression of God's orderly management of the people, and today uh, that's been fulfilled in Christ in the kingdom of God. And so we're not bound by those detailed civil laws. Um, the, the worship laws that have to do with sacrifice, you know, if you sin, bring this sacrifice. If you do this, bring that sacrifice. All that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is our sacrifice. All the sacrifices were pointing to Jesus Christ. And so those are fulfilled, and we don't observe the sacrifices anymore. We don't bring in, you know, the animals and, and sacrifice them. We don't need to. Christ has been our sacrifice for us. There's no more need for that. But the moral law was to express who God is in the life of man. And so when there's a moral law in the Old Testament, we still observe that because it too is fulfilled in Christ who perfectly kept the moral law of God. You see this? Okay. But all of that was not the sum total. All of that was to point to Christ. And so the law, the rules were the shadow. But the substance, the real thing, is Jesus Christ. If, if I could give you one thing this morning, you know, 
it would be to hang on to the real thing, to Jesus Christ. You know, there's some good rules out there. In fact, Colossians is going to, you know, start in chapter 3, we're going to get one rule after another, after another, after another. The Bible's full of those kinds of rules, but they all point to the real thing, and that is Jesus Christ. And without Christ, the rules are deadly. In Jesus Christ, the rules are a privilege. It's how we love him back. And so Paul said, you know, the rules, you know, don't let anybody pass judgment on you for those things. Now, we encourage one another, and we go to one another. You know, if you see a brother sinning, you go to him, you try to encourage him to, um, uh, to repent, you know, those kinds of things that Jesus talked about. But the point is, it's not the rules. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that matters. So he is the substance. Let no one disqualify you. That is, no, let no one be an umpire and call you out. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, uh, you know, a, 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 life, a, a lifestyle of, of severity, you know, uh, sort of a, a, a faux poverty kind of thing. Um, uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, living in a monastery as a monk, you know, and only having a, a, a burlap robe to wear with a rope a belt. Um, I often wonder about these guys. Do they look at one another and say, my burlap robe is more impoverished than your burlap robe. <laughs> These things bother me. I mean, do the Amish look at one another and say, my dress is more dowdy than yours. <laughs> my face is more plain than yours. <laughs> That's right, sister. <laughs> you be ugly. Huh? Here's a rule to live by. Don't do that. Don't, don't call anybody. He says, but don't let anyone disqualify you. In, 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 insisting on, on, on asceticism, you know, sort of just the outward trappings of, 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 um, of spirituality and, you know, those kinds of, of, of things. Uh, and, and the worship of angels. Um, the best way, I think, to take this um, is not that the angels should be worshipped, and so we find an angel and worship the angel. The Bible's clear you don't do that. The worship of angels is the worship that angels give to God. And so some would say, oh, well, we've got to worship like the angels do. How do they angel? angels worship? Well, they must worship in tongues. They must worship ecstatically. They must worship with a lot of emotion. And so um, the, the idea of the worship of angels, oh, you should worship like the angels do, is you need to worship a different way. Your worship is dead and stayed. You sing the old hymns. Or... <laughs> Your worship is out of hand. You sing the new hymns. Don't let anybody disqualify you by going in and saying, look, you've got to have a worship war here. Let's just butt heads and, 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 and decide somebody's right and somebody's wrong here. You know, you say, ah, come on, keep your eyes on Christ. Um, uh, going on into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Have you known anybody like that? Probably not. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head. This is why Colossians is such a great book. Um, 
You know, I've, I've been presenting it to you under, under the idea of we live in a murky world where everything is just sort of blurry and foggy and fuzzy, and, and uh, uh, there's a lot of competing voices and a lot of uh, uh, competing influences on our, on our minds and our hearts and our, and our walk, and, and uh, all these voices coming from all over is just confusing, and what we need is clarity. Well, here's the clarity. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And all this rule-keeping and all this arguing and all this, this debating back and forth about what to do, it's it solved when you fix your eyes upon Jesus and you are tied to him. And so the, the whole point of this exercise in Colossians is to point to Jesus Christ in all his glory and the magnificent wonder of who he is, that we would be drawn to Jesus and drawn to him, we would have clarity in our lives. So don't let anybody, you know, muddy the waters with rules and regulations that have nothing to do with it. Keep your eyes on Christ, who is the head. That's what, that's what he's talking about and uh, not holding fast, from whom the whole body nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. It is if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, you know, if, if you died with Christ, why is it still alive in the world? Do you uh, submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. Why do you reduce it to the things that the world would impose? See, the world doesn't understand grace. It really doesn't. The world really thinks it's all about rules. The world really thinks that God just cares about keeping a list of do's and don'ts and being on the right side of the ledger when you balance things out. But if you've died to the world in Jesus Christ, why do you live as if the world has something to say rather than abiding in Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. Okay. Let's just finish off the paragraph. We'll have it in front of us. Uh, verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom and asceticism and severity to the body. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They, they cannot change you. They cannot change the heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. So here, here's the great thing. Growing up in church, uh, we get the rules, we think it's all about the rules, but you know, by the grace of God, one day you come to realize, no, it's not about the rules, it's about Jesus. And that puts the rules into their place. Like I say, a lot of good ones out there. But it's that relationship with Jesus Christ that matters. That's what Paul's trying to get at. That's what, that's, that's what he's you know, driving at. It's all about Jesus. Now, in a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And at the Lord's table, we are reminded about what matters. I mean, at, at the end of his earthly ministry, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup also, saying, this is, is the new covenant in my blood. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, Guys, I've been around you long enough. I know how you operate. I know your minds. You're going to get off track. Let me give you something that will focus you on what really matters. 
And when Jesus did that, he did not say, okay, guys, let's get together. All of you pull out your copy of the Bible and read, let's read the Ten Commandments together. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, guys, let's get out your hymn book, let's sing the old hymns. He didn't say, guys, bring out your guitars, let's sing the new hymns. Nothing wrong with singing hymns old and new. He didn't say, guys, let's get together and review the dress code to make sure we all dress alike and dress the way we should be. You know? Just, you know, by the way, the rule of thumb on that is, I don't know why this occurred to me, but I'll give it to you. If you want to dress the way a Christian should dress, just be 10 years out of date with everybody else. <laughs> everybody will think you're conservative. But he didn't say that. He said, guys, come here. This bread, it's my body. Broken for you. Guys, this cup, it's a new relationship in my blood. Guys, when you get together, this is what I want you to think about. That I gave my body and shed my blood for you. Beloved, all the rules in the world cannot replace the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now hear me. When you love Jesus, you want to love him back, and he's told us how to do it. But keep it in the right order. It's love for Christ who inspires a desire to love him more, not rules that buy off a spiteful Jesus. So he said, when you get together, I want you to be clear. It's my body. It's my blood. Because that is the substance, not the shadow. And that is the real thing. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how kind and gracious you are to open our eyes to see things we would never see, to open our hearts to embrace things we would never embrace, to open our minds to understand things we would never understand. How kind and gracious you are to bring us to the foot of the cross and show us Jesus. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in the heart of that person who does not know him this morning, that your Holy Spirit would bring about a, a, a conviction of sin and a, and a change, a conversion of heart, and bring about a confession of lips. But, Father, for the brother and sister in Christ, I pray for that liberating outpouring of your grace that our whole lives would be spent loving Jesus more and more. I ask it in his name. Amen.